Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear our sermon from our current series, The Book of James. As we read through James, we'll see how our faith in Christ should do more than just change the way we think, it should change the way we live. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. On this week of Thanksgiving, as we're thankful for you, we're going to look at God's Word and, and see what He shared with us. We're in the book of James, and, and I just want to start this morning with a question. What are you waiting for in your life? What are you waiting for? Um, if you're like me, you may struggle with waiting. Anybody impatient? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anybody a little bit just sort of impatient? Any, there you go. All right. All right. Good. Well, look, uh, Timex did a study a few years ago, and this probably shouldn't surprise you that Timex uh, did this, um, but it did a study about uh, how impatient we are and how quickly uh, it takes for us to get uh, frustrated with the situation. So they uh, said, uh, wanted to see how long it would take for someone to honk their horn when they were, when the car in front of them was sitting still at a green light. 13 seconds. That's all it took. Um, if you're in a movie theater and somebody was talking, they wanted to do a study on how long it would take for you to shush them. 26 seconds. If somebody's walking around talking on their cell phone too long, they did a study on that. How, how long will it be before you tell that person to, to turn it down? Uh, 45 seconds. Now, uh, some other things were a little bit longer. How long will you wait at a restaurant to get seated? 13 minutes, and then you're going to go out the door. Um, but this last one is pretty relevant for this week. Um, they did a study about how long you will wait on Thanksgiving for the latest person to arrive before you all dig in. You're thinking of somebody right now, aren't you? You know that person in your family that's going to come in late. 20 minutes, they say, is the average amount of time you'll wait for that late person. So today we're going to be talking about waiting patiently. This is straight out of the book of James. Uh, after uh, James has addressed rich people who had taken advantage of the followers of Christ and the churches scattered around the world, James writes these words to them about being patient. So here's the first thing that he tells us. He says, be patient and waiting for the Lord. Be patient and waiting for the Lord. So let's just dig in in verse 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, waiting patiently for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, the, the reason that James brings up the second coming of Jesus is because he wants his hearers to know that, that Jesus is returning soon. Now, remember, this is first century uh, the, uh, Israel, and he's speaking to them. He says, listen, the Lord's going to return soon. Um, after he exhorts them to be patient and to wait, he, he reminds them. You know, there are other situations in life where we have to be patient and wait. And so he goes straight into an illustration that everybody would understand. It would be agriculture. It would be farming. They would know but that uh, 
Farmers had to wait for the seasons. They had to wait for the spring rains and the autumn rains for the harvest to mature so that they could be able to take it in. And so he, he uses that illustration because farmers have to be patient and wait. If you're a farmer or if you grow uh, fruits and vegetables or flowers, you understand that illustration. It requires that we be patient. And following Jesus and waiting for his return also requires that we be patient. Now, I know you see the irony, you know, that uh, James is telling people to be patient, enduring, uh, waiting for the Lord to return soon. And here we are some 2,000 years later and the Lord has not yet returned. But we need to know this as followers of Christ. The hope of Jesus' return is an essential of our faith in him. And in Scripture, we're told that from the viewpoint of God, uh, a thousand years is like a day. Um, and so through the centuries, uh, though they have passed since Jesus uh, ascended into heaven, uh, we serve a God for whom the length of time does not imply a failed promise, but rather we trust his word, we trust his promise, and our hope as followers of Jesus is that he will return and we will wait and be faithful until he does. Now, James told those hearers to trust and wait, and he's telling us the same thing. Uh, so James tells us even in that, he says, you know, don't grumble as you wait, because when we grumble, when we criticize, when we argue and get angry and blame one another, he tells us that uh, we're not being faithful to God. We're, we're tearing down one another. We're not building up Christ's body. We're not building up the church. And so he says that we're supposed to uh, wait and watch and not grumble. And he drives the point home because he says that last phrase, the judge is standing at the door. In other words, that God knows all, that God sees all, that one day we will stand before him to share with him how we've lived this life that he's given us, and there will be an accounting. And so he says, listen, you know, the Lord's watching. He's standing at the door. So he's telling them to be patient and to not grumble, to trust God during this time. So let me ask you again, what are you waiting on? Yes, the Lord's return, but what else? Maybe it's a medical diagnosis. Maybe you're waiting on a broken relationship that you're hoping and praying that will come around and not be broken anymore. Maybe you've prayed, prayed a prayer for for weeks, months, even years, and you're waiting for God to answer it. What are you waiting on? Waiting can be hard. Uh, I want to encourage you to keep trusting God, to keep praying, and keep waiting on him. I don't want you to give up, but let me share with you something that, that may help you. And, and it sort of comes out of personal experience, but it's also something that, that uh, psychologists have also proved. In fact, uh, there was a study done a few years ago at an airport in the Houston area. It seems that uh, one uh, airline particularly had uh, tons and tons of complaints about the time it took the bags at baggage claim to get there. 
And so uh, the executives at the uh, airline company said, well, all right, we're going to do whatever we can to get rid of these complaints. So they hired a bunch more baggage handlers. And while the time of waiting went down, they still got an inordinate amount of complaints. And, and sort of in a stroke of creativity uh, that must have cost them a lot of money, they actually moved the gates further away from where baggage claim was. And so when people would arrive at baggage claim, they didn't have to wait very long at all because in the time it had taken them to walk to the, to the baggage claim, their bags were almost there. And so the complaints went down to a minuscule. But, but psychologists who study this say, you know, it's this phenomenon of active waiting. When we're active in our waiting, we're not as impatient. When we're active in our waiting, we're not as prone to grumble. So I want to encourage you, if, if you're waiting on the Lord's return, if you're waiting on an answer prayer, if you're waiting on some solution from God that you've been praying about, don't just sit there. Work with God. Be active. So, you know, if, if you're struggling in your marriage and you're waiting for God to change your spouse, that's not what you should do. To be honest with you, you need help. You need a third party who can look at your marriage and speak into you. So I would encourage you to go to Christian counseling. I've done it. Cynthia and I have done it. I recommend it to everybody because that's active waiting. You're actually pursuing an understanding of what's going on. If you're struggling, uh, waiting for a, a job opportunity to come along and you're not sure what you should do, I would encourage you to begin to, to pray and think about what it is that you're passionate about and begin to study it and begin to, to focus your attention on it so that when God provides that opportunity, uh, not only will you not be there impatient, but you'll be prepared along the way. Uh, this whole idea of, of trusting God, but working with God as you're waiting for him. I'll just share with you my own personal experience. Over 20 years ago, uh, Cynthia and I sensed this call on our lives to plant a church, to start a brand new church. And, uh, you know, I went to the uh, leaders of the movement of churches that I was a part of, and uh, they weren't prepared for that. Uh, I, I shared with them about the, the call on my life to plant a church, and they said, well, we're not sure, so, um, you know, come back to us in a year. And I got to be candid. I was frustrated. I was um, really uh, clueless as why they didn't know what to do with that. Didn't they want to reach more people for Jesus? But I said, you know what? I'm not going to grumble and I'm not going to complain. I'm going to take this time to work with God on this calling. I'm going to do everything I can to learn about what it takes to start new churches. I actually went back to seminary. I took a class. I went to seminars. I read books. I talked to church planters. Cynthia and I prayed together. We spent time dreaming about what it would look like. I spent time praying and writing down a plan that God gave to me. And eventually God opened the door to plant the church. And when he did, I was ready. And the church was Valleybrook. The idea of active waiting. You know, did I get impatient somewhere along in that process? Yes, but I didn't dwell there. I didn't stay there. And, uh, you know, look, I'm not lifting myself up as some great example, but I am showing you how active waiting can work. So as we wait on the Lord's return, we don't know when he'll return, but he tells us to be prepared. And how do we be prepared? We actively follow Jesus. 
Whatever you're praying about, you know, whether it's a relationship or a job opportunity or a health issue, what do we do? We actively pursue as much information and we pray about it as much as possible so that we're actively engaged in that process, trusting that God's going to answer that. So we wait for him. We trust in him. All of our waiting that we need to understand is something that God tells us about in Scripture. King David wrote in Psalm 27, he said, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart. Wait for the Lord. To be strong is to believe in Him and trust Him and to follow Him and to, to trust that He will work with us. So we're supposed to be patient and waiting for the Lord waiting for his return, waiting for his answer to our prayers, waiting for him to speak into our lives. The next thing that James talks about, it makes it very clear is this, is, is what I alluded to earlier. You know, the churches that he was writing to were facing persecution as followers of Jesus Christ. They were being persecuted for their faith. In the first part of this chapter, he, he actually calls out rich people who are persecuting the church. And we know that they're not uh, followers of Jesus because he doesn't call them brothers and sisters. But in this section, he talks to the brothers and sisters who are now being told to be patient, even in their persecution. So this is the second point I want to make. Be patient in your suffering. Let's jump right in and read what he wrote. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So, patience in the face of suffering. Uh, those are two things I don't like. I don't like to be patient. I don't like to suffer. But here we have James, the half-brother of Jesus, telling us that we're supposed to be patient in our suffering. And he goes right into some examples. He talks about the prophets of God who suffered, uh, who were patient in their suffering. And one commentator writes this, the meaning of the word patience here in the scriptures is this. It refers to an attitude of long suffering, which does not complain or find fault under trial. Whoa. To not complain or find fault when you're suffering. So James is telling us, to be patient and not complain in our time of suffering. Now, as an example of the prophets, let, let me just give you Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah, in the 38th chapter of the book that bears his name, he tells a story about how he was imprisoned by King Zedekiah. He was wrongly imprisoned and he was thrown into a muddy dungeon and he was left there to die. But Jeremiah didn't complain. He didn't complain to God. He didn't complain to the king. He didn't complain to the jail keepers. And as things happened, the king needed explanation of something that was going on in his life. And so he summoned Jeremiah and asked him for advice. Now, you would think 
At this point, uh, uh, Jeremiah could, uh, you know, uh, exact some revenge and complain and, and really let the king have it. But that's not what he does. Uh, you know, scripture tells us that Jeremiah said to the king, Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you. Then it will go well with you and your life will be spared. Jeremiah spoke in the name of the Lord. He understood the faith and obedience and what was required of him to speak that word. And so despite his intense suffering, he neither complained or took anything out on the king. You and I are called to imitate that behavior. And then James goes and he talks about Job. Now we know about Job uh, that he was patient and he endured his suffering. He was consistent under the, the a trial that he faced and he had endured misery and, and still had great perseverance. Um, the God who tested Job in the furnace of hardship finally brought him to an experience of compassion and mercy. And, and through those enduring trials, Job never complained about God. He never uh, took out his frustration toward God. And I know for us, this is, this is hard for us to wrap our heads around because uh, this type of suffering uh, just seems so intense. And quite frankly, you know, we have never known suffering like Job did. And uh, quite frankly, as followers of Jesus in this country, we have never experienced persecution for our faith like believers in other parts of the world. But we're told to persevere when we suffer. We are told to recognize that God is with us during that time. Re remember the words of Jesus. He said this, in this world, you will have trouble. We'll experience trouble. We will suffer in this world. But then Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. As followers of Jesus, we walk with a Savior who has overcome the world. So we need to trust him and we need to be patient. It's so important for us to do that. You know, there's really two kinds of suffering for us to consider. There's suffering for our faith. That's what the prophets endured. And as I said, we can't really complain because in our lifetime, we haven't experienced that kind of suffering. But then the other kind of suffering is from loss or injury or illness, which some of us have experienced. And James gives us these two examples because he wants us to understand that, that suffering can be endured if we have faith. And he wants to encourage us because as he writes, he says, listen, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So he has compassion and mercy on us and our suffering, even as he tells us to be patient. Now, when I read that scripture, you may have remembered that that last verse, verse 12, seemed a little strange because he closes with these words. He goes, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. What's he getting at here? Well, listen, his main concern here is not about swearing, using profanity. That's not what he's talking about. He's actually not even talking about using the Lord's name in vain. He's basically talking to these Christ followers who, uh, when they're suffering, when they're experiencing persecution, 
they, they quickly and flippantly try to get out of their persecution by saying, you know, on God's name, I never did it. But he's basically saying, listen, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're facing persecution and somebody questions you, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's okay because be patient. God is with you. He's basically saying, listen, let's don't use the Lord's name frivolously. Let's respect him and follow him. Now, for us today, we uh, probably only would use, uh, uh, be used to hearing that idea of uh, pledging an oath or swearing by God's name in a, in a legal proceeding. Um, you know, at that time when you're asked, do you solemnly swear to tell the whole truth, uh, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you, God? You're basically asking to make a pledge, a promise, an oath that you'll tell the truth in God's name. By the way, it's okay for us as followers of Christ to take that oath. Um, we're called to be truthful. And so we take that oath and we tell the truth. The reality is, as followers of Christ, we have to recognize that we're going to experience suffering in this world. Sometimes for our faith, someone will judge us or speak against us. Sometimes we'll experience physical suffering or emotional suffering or mental suffering. But we're called to trust in God and to be patient. The big picture is for followers of Christ, uh, we're supposed to, to trust God and wait on him. And if we experience suffering, to be patient in that. Uh, and by the way, yes, we should pray. I haven't talked a lot about that this morning because that's what we're going to talk about next week from the book of James. But we should pray and trust him. Uh, we should trust him and be patient uh, when we're treated poorly, when we're struggling, when we're persecuted. Now, I don't know about you, but, but as I've looked at these scriptures, I've thought about the times that we live in. And at this time in our history, it just seems like our culture has embraced this concept of outrage. And people get outraged by this or that. And quite honestly, then they, re, they respond with outrage. And it just becomes a cycle that is vicious. And it's often polarized around political issues. And, and it does nothing but tears us down. As followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to break that cycle. I, I saw something this week that, that gave me a glimpse of hope. It was two people, two men who got into a conflict, and uh, um, how they chose to resolve it gave me a, a glimmer of hope. And, you know, I, I'm going to share with you a, an illustration that comes straight out of everyday news, and, and it's honestly from something I never thought I would share in church, but it was something that happened on Saturday Night Live a few weeks ago. Um, maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't, but uh, Dan Crenshaw, who's a Republican congressman-elect, a Navy SEAL who was injured, he did five tours uh, of duty, um, was running for election. In one of his tours of duty, he lost an eye. He wears an eye patch. Uh, the other person was Pete Davidson. He's a comedian. I mean, these guys couldn't be more polar opposite. And in his routine on Saturday Night Live a few weeks ago, he mocked Dan, Pete, mocked Dan Crenshaw. And immediately, uh, all over the media, people you know, were calling for, him, for Pete to be fired. They were called for an apology and a retraction. But Dan Crenshaw said, you know what? I don't need an apology. 
Um, I'm not going to verbally retaliate and spar with him. You know, what he did was inappropriate, but, you know, he goes, the reality is I've been in combat. I've had people shooting at me, and what he said pales in comparison to that. Well, a week ago, the directors of Saturday Night Live called Dan Crenshaw and said, listen, we would like you to come on the show because Pete wants to make an apology on live television. Now, remember, these two guys are at opposite ends of the spectrum in so many ways, but he came on the show. Uh, he, he was part of the same uh, program in the show that he normally did, but he offered an apology to Dan. Pete did, and Dan accepted it, you know, and he didn't swing back. He could have said something back to him. And so, again, uh, you know, I don't know where these guys are spiritually, but what I saw them do was bring hope into breaking a vicious cycle. When somebody is abused verbally, he didn't retaliate. And when somebody realized they had said the wrong thing, they apologized. You know, Dan Crenshaw went on to say, you know, you can challenge my ideas, but don't pick on the person. You know, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to love God and we're called to love people. We're, we're called to a higher standard. Uh, so look, in this world, you and I are going to face trouble. We're going to face criticism because of our values as being a follower of Jesus Christ. But we don't get in it and sling mud and take the low road. We take the high road. We retaliate not with hate, but with love with the love of Jesus Christ. We speak life over people, not death. We don't use people for a joke. We love on people. You know, I, I started off this morning saying, you know, what are you waiting for? You know, in the face of waiting for the Lord to return, in the face of waiting for God to take you with whatever suffering or pain that's in your life, we're called to trust him. We're called to love him. And we're called to be faithful followers of Jesus and love others, whether they love us or not. So I want to close this morning with a time where I give you the opportunity to talk to God about where you need to exhibit patience. Is it patience over something that's going on in your life, a medical issue, an employment issue, a relational issue, a marriage issue? You know, just say, God, Help me to be patient and show me how to wait actively in that situation. Maybe you're experiencing some per type of persecution. Ask God for strength to continue to love him and to love others. As Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So ask him for the patience to be like him. So if you would, bow your heads. Close your eyes and I'm going to start us off in prayer and then just give you the opportunity just to, to speak to God about patience. Father, you are the God who loves us so much. You have shared with us your love in Jesus Christ and you've called us to follow him. And so, Lord, we will follow him and we'll wait for him to return again and we'll wait for him to answer our prayers. But in the waiting, Lord, we need to talk to you as we seek to wait actively on you. So Lord, hear our prayers. 
Father, as we wait, give us strength. Give us courage. Fill us with your spirit and help us be faithful followers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.